It was a man who worked for the federal government who was an atheist, and he brought a lawsuit against the government alleging discrimination because the government recognized Christmas, a religious holiday, but didn't have a similar holiday for atheists. And so uh, the government filed a motion to dismiss the lawsuit, and they had a hearing, and the judge heard both sides, and then the, the judge dismissed the lawsuit. And the lawyer for the atheist was not happy, and he said, Your Honor, I ask you to reconsider. It's beyond dispute that Christmas is a Christian holiday and that there's no holiday for atheists. And the judge replied, but there is a holiday for atheists. We celebrate it every year on the same day, April 1st. <laughs> Your client can take that day off of work. Now, for many people, though, the idea that Christmas is a religious holiday isn't really true. Um, they celebrate it, certainly in popular culture, and many people in such a way that it's not very much connected um, with its religious significance and meaning. People, they like the themes, love, joy, peace, giving and receiving gifts, but they don't appreciate the reason for it all. And if we, faithful Catholic Christians, want to put Christ back in Christmas, I think we need to begin by celebrating well the season of Advent. This is the season that begins today, the new church year. And it is given to us by the church to help us prepare to celebrate Christmas. But the first part of Advent is focused not on the coming of Christ in Bethlehem and his incarnation, but rather on his second coming at the end of history. And if we are living as we should, we will look forward to the second coming of Christ, not be afraid of it. Imagine you're a soldier in a war, and you've been fighting for years against a ruthless and evil enemy. And it goes kind of back and forth. Sometimes you make some significant gains, but the enemy is relentless, and sometimes it seems it's just a stalemate that will go on forever. Or even worse, that the enemy will gain the upper hand. And just when it seems that you can't go on any longer, the supreme commander of your army comes with reinforcements, and wins the total and decisive victory. Well, this is the situation of the church throughout history. So we are looking forward to the coming of our supreme commander with his army of angels to finally put an end to evil, an end to the suffering of the just, and to establish the kingdom in its fullness. Now, Advent is not officially a penitential season, but there's a lot of penitential themes that run throughout the readings and liturgy of Advent. So if you were paying attention, our first reading, Isaiah, is making a public confession to God for the sins of the people. He's speaking to God saying, Behold, you are angry and we are sinful. All of us have become like unclean people. There is none who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to cling to you. Isaiah pleads for God to come to his people and to help them convert. We join Isaiah in praying, would that you might meet us doing right, that we were mindful of you in your ways. We echo too that second reading, the words of St. Paul, and we ask God to keep us firm to the end, irreproachable on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the gospel, Jesus tells us, be watchful and be alert. And a parable, little story that he tells there is similar to one that he tells several times. And the, the setup is this. There's a master of a household, 
He goes away on a journey. He puts his servants in charge. They each have their work to do. And the master is going to return at a time they don't know. And so the master will return. He finds some of them doing their work, being faithful servants, and he rewards them. He finds others asleep or even worse, engaged in misconduct, and those he punishes. Now, the meaning of these parables is pretty basic. So who is the master of the household? Well, Jesus. His going away on a journey is his ascension into heaven. And his returning home is the, uh, uh, Jesus coming back at the end of history, right? the second coming. Now, even though Jesus is no longer present to us visibly in the flesh, and the fullness of his coming is reserved for a future date, Jesus never really left us, right? He is still present among us. He says, before he ascends to heaven, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says, where two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of you. And so we understand through faith that Jesus is present in his church. Jesus is present in his sacraments. Jesus is even present, as we heard last week, in those in need and whom we serve. So, we're to be watchful, we're to be ready. And what's the problem? The problem is uh, out of sight, out of mind. Okay? It's a, a professor of psychology who also has done some research in economics. His name is Daniel Kahneman. And he was asked once, uh, you know, what is the most important principle if people understood would make the world a better place? And he replied, nothing is as important as you think it is while you are thinking about it. So let me repeat that. <laughs> Nothing is as important as you think it is while you are thinking about it. It's called the focusing illusion, right? So um, we're designed to focus on solving a problem, so we have a worry, or maybe there's something we really uh, delight in. And as we are thinking about that, it takes an exaggerated importance, especially as compared to the more fundamental kind of background realities of our lives, right? This is called the focusing illusion. And uh, he, has, he has this thing where he, will, he does a, a survey of people and asks them, um, will you be happier if you live in California or Michigan? And what do most people say? California. And why do they say that? They think of, what's the one main thing they think of immediately that distinguishes the two states? They think of the weather, right? But actually, if you do surveys, both subjectively and objectively, the well-being between people in the two states is really not that different, right? Now, in truth... Christ and his kingdom uh, are always more important than, than we think they are, <laughs> even when we're thinking about them. Um, but certainly when we focus on them, they, we, at least our appreciation approximates more of their importance. So at Mass, for example, at Mass, uh, hopefully, mostly, during most of the Mass, you're thinking about Jesus and his kingdom. And, um, uh, but then what happens? You know, sometimes you go to Mass, you get inspired, I'm going to make a change in my life, and what happens? You don't follow through with it. You go back to your ordinary life, you've got problems you're trying to solve at work, you get a disagreement with a family member, or even good things, enjoying your favorite hobby or watching your favorite show. And those things, in those moments, have this exaggerated importance, and Jesus and his kingdom fade into the background. And so what we need, constant reminders. We need things to help us to pay attention to what matters most. And we can, we can kind of implement these, maybe these techniques, uh, 
tricks that could become habits of turning our daily experiences into reminders of God. But let me give you some examples. Uh, all of you eat food every day, probably, yes? Right. So you can, you can say grace right, before you eat. Uh, that's, that's one example, you know. Also, too, though, maybe we're also called sometimes in the Christian life to fast, and for some people, um, going for many hours without food is very difficult or is not, not good for them. Um, but we can, at a meal, we can decide to give up something small. We can not put salt or ketchup on our french fries or have water instead of a sweet drink and do that intentionally, offering that to God. Okay. How about, um, do you wear around your neck, you know, a scapular or a miraculous medal or, or a crucifix? Uh, do you have in your pocket a rosary? Do you have on your desk at work, in your homes, an image of Our Lady or of the crucifix, right? The other ways of reminding us, maybe even, you know, your screensaver, your background image on your screens can be a religious image. Yeah. And when certain things happen today, we should try to think of uh, connecting them with Scripture. So when you hear a phone ring, you can think of Samuel responding when God called him. Here I am, you called me. Now, you don't necessarily have to say that out loud when you're at work. People might think you're crazy. So you just, it's an interior conversation you have with the Lord. When you interact with a child, remember Jesus saying, let the children come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When you've helped someone afterwards, offer this little prayer, Lord, thank you for allowing me to serve you in that person. Even um, temptations can become occasions of remembering God. Talk with men who say they struggle uh, against lust and, and you know, entertaining lustful thoughts, and I try to help them distinguish between lust and just appreciating beauty. Um, there is a distinction. And so I say, if you notice a beautiful woman, you can pray with the psalmist. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord God of hosts. And when you do fall short, when you do miss the mark, you can also think of God praying that great prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There are monks for whom that's what they're saying throughout the day, in fact. So start with one of these things and try to make it a habit, and maybe you could add more. You can think of these as these little spiritual text messages that you send throughout the day. Like people who are in love, maybe some of you have been married for a while, you don't remember how it was, but... You know, you would, you would want to communicate a lot with each other, right? Um, and we, uh, if we do that, I think actually, it's not only us sending messages to God, but we start actually hearing or perceiving his messages to us more. We call this in the Catholic tradition, uh, practicing the presence of God. Okay? And this is what helps us to be alert and to be watchful. Being watchful is an unceasing attentiveness to Jesus and his kingdom and to the many ways that Jesus comes. One day he will come in glory to consummate the kingdom, but each day he comes with his salvation and grace in small ways. One day, at the end of history, there will be a final tribulation and test for whoever is living on the earth at the time. But each day for us, our faithfulness is tested. 
rather than being caught asleep on the job. May we be found alert and watchful guardians of the kingdom entrusted to us by our Lord.